The RSVP Trust, changing lives around the world. I want to look this morning at, uh, at five invitations of Christ, five things that Jesus said uh, that are invitations. Quite often people say to me, uh, especially if I say that, uh, that God told me to do something, uh, which he does from time to time, quite often people will say, well, I never hear God speaking. And uh, I can only conclude that you're not listening <laughs> because God never sh- shuts up apart from, um, if you look in most Bibles between the Old and New Testaments, um, there's a, normally a blank piece of paper and I actually preached on that once um, <laughs> because between the Old and New Testaments there were 400 years when God did not speak. Um, but since Christ came and uh, through his death on the cross tore that veil in the temple and opened the way back to God, I can assure you that God is speaking into his world uh, and into your life. We don't always hear him. Uh, it's not true to say he never shuts up, but he, he is speaking to you and he's speaking to you and me today. And uh, if you feel he's stopped speaking, then my advice to you would be to go back the last thing you remembered he's told you to do and do that. Because if you don't do that, if you're not going to listen to him on that one, he's not going to say anything else until you've done what he uh, asked you last time. So five things that Jesus said. Uh, the first one uh, is actually in Isaiah. Now, you don't need to be a genius to work out that how can you ask the question, how can Jesus speak in Isaiah? That's in the Old Testament. But if you read the Bible and understand the Bible, there's a word about Jesus or from Jesus in every book of the Bible. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that there was a time when Jesus didn't exist. That's based on the Aryan controversy, if you want a history lesson, which was dealt with uh, in about the year 326. Uh, But as Christians, as Orthodox Christians, we believe that Jesus has always existed, that he is part of the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there never was a time when he was not. And so it's not difficult for uh, uh, Jesus to speak through the Old Testament. In fact, in John's Gospel, it begins by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and Jesus is referred to as the Word of God with a capital W. But in Isaiah 45, 22, uh, his first invitation, he says, Look to me and be saved. Look to me and be saved. So the first thing that Jesus said, and you can see it in the Gospels, he calls people to give him their attention. And uh, I remember when uh, Jesus did this for me, uh, it was actually a Jehovah's Witness that came to the door and uh, began quoting the Bible to me. And I said with great authority, he can't believe that. It's full of contradictions. And uh, so she gave me a Bible and said, show me one. The only slight snag with my theory was I'd never read the Bible. (laughs) And uh, so my argument rather collapsed at that point. So I thought what you have to do then is actually read the Bible and find the contradictions. So um, I couldn't deal with the Victorian language, so I bought a a modern translation by a man called J.B. Phillips. He he retranslated the New Testament into modern English. And if you've never read his translation, I'd recommend it. And I read it through like one would read a novel. Uh, But my purpose was to look for contradictions. And I worked in a 
factory in those days. I had a very exciting job. If, if you ever change a plug, next time you change a plug, uh, you'll see that at one end of the fuse, there's a little copper clip that's riveted to a brass um, thing that you screw the wire in. And um, don't fall asleep yet. And uh, now, I didn't even have the job of riveting those two pieces together. I just had to watch a machine that did it automatically and switch it <laughs> off when it went wrong. That's how excited my life was. And, uh, and in fact, I learned after three days, you didn't even have to watch the machine. If you remember Camberwick Green and Windy Miller's windmill, do you remember it made a sound like... <laughs> well, this machine made a very similar sound. And so you could daydream all day. And when it went ba-dum, 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 you knew that something had gone wrong and you switched it off. So in these exciting times, uh, during my lunch hour in the factory, I began reading J.B. Phillips' uh, translation of the New Testament. And uh, J.B. Phillips said that when he translated the New Testament into modern English, it was like rewiring a house with the electricity switched on. And in a way, that's kind of what I discovered as I read his translation in that factory in Manchester. And it really got my attention, or the person of Jesus got my attention, because it, the first thing that struck me was, I don't think this is a made-up fairy story, which I believed prior to that. And then I thought, even if it is made up, I need to get to the bottom of how this piece of writing came about, because this is just an amazing uh, thing, and there's something happens when you read that book. And so I feel during that time that, for me, that was how Jesus began to say to me, look to me. And it's sometimes when we have problems and a crisis in our life uh, that Jesus is saying, look to me. And he says it in his word, look to me and be saved. So it also tells us that we need to be saved. And if you look in the dictionary, it gives a few meanings to the word save. And I think all of these are what Jesus is trying to do and why he why he tells you to look to him. To, set, to be saved or to save someone is to rescue from danger or harm, preserve from injury, destruction or loss, put aside for a particular use, to deliver from sin, to keep from being wasted or lost, to keep an opponent from scoring or winning. And uh, I watched a debate on TV uh, the other week. No, not that one. Uh, about uh, whether we're born good or we're born bad. And, um, uh, of course, the Orthodox Christian view is that men and women fell from God's grace when Adam and Eve became independent. But there was this terrific upshot in the TV program of pride that we don't need God, we don't need to be saved. And uh, it was the pride of Adam and Eve, really, that got us into the trouble. And pride is something that Jesus comes to save us from. Mohammed Ali was once on a flight to New York and, uh, in his heyday, and uh, he was refusing to wear a seatbelt. And the stewardess, the stewardess says, you must put your seatbelt on. And he said, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. And she said, Superman doesn't need an aeroplane. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to be careful of our pride. In Proverbs 4, 20, uh, Jesus, or God puts it this way, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. So 
the first thing is something to consider. Jesus says, look to me. And then in Matthew 11:28, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So first of all, he tries to get your attention, and that's something to consider. But then he, he invites you to come to him and take steps towards him. And um, after I'd kind of read the, those uh, uh, Gospels in modern English, I met a friend. I, I come from uh, a family with four brothers, so um, I'm a little bit oversensitive to noise. Hazel will tell you that. And um, there was never any silence in our house. And uh, I met a friend. I used to work with him in the youth club. And he told me he was going off to a monastery for the weekend where there would be silence. And I said to him, what an amazing place. <laughs> I'd love to go to a place where there was two minutes silence, let alone a whole weekend. And so he arranged for me to go with him. And it was quite difficult because after like five minutes, if you've never had any silence, you begin to wonder what you're going to do. But I began to read more of the Bible and think about God, obviously in a, in a place like a monastery that's kind of the focus of the whole thing. And uh, uh, it was during that time that I began to draw close to God. And then one day I kind of went to church because the same guy told me that someone got healed, which amazed me really that anyone could get healed in church. And um, uh, I remember going that day and people were singing hymns, but it was more than that because I'd been to church when I was in the Cubs and people sang hymns. Um, but there was something different here. Uh, not just that people had their hands raised, not that they were had their heads held up, but there was something in the atmosphere that was different to what I'd encountered before. And I remember just saying, God... Jesus, if you're there, if you do exist, please come into my life. And I immediately felt very dirty, uh, which I've since discovered the Bible calls sin. I wasn't even aware of that. And then I immediately after that felt I was being washed clean on the inside by like a warm shower. And uh, Jesus really met with me. Uh, but I took that step. I asked him to come in. Uh, and he tells us to come to him and receive his gift. If, you, if you're given a gift at Christmas or on your birthday, um, you know, if you just throw it on the ground and don't unwrap it, you haven't received the gift. And uh, if you did that when the giver was there, they might be quite offended that you didn't receive the gift. To receive a gift, you have to open it, unwrap it, and uh, take hold of it and use whatever the gift is. And then you've received the gift, and it's the same with receiving Christ. Thirdly, he, he invites us to abide in him in John 15 uh, and verse 4. He says, abide in me and I in you. And he talks about the branches abiding in the vine and not having life without, without abiding in the vine. And so not only does he call us to look to him and come to him, but he calls us to live in him, to abide in him. And uh, we've moved houses, you know, you're probably bored of hearing about it, but one of the things is this house was stood empty for a year, and the man who lived there was obviously a very keen gardener, but in the year he wasn't there, there's a lot of weeds, and uh, he, grow, he grew many, many roses, and I'm ashamed to say I've dug most of them up, because we might want one rose, but we didn't quite want sort of 50. Um, so we're sorting out this thing, and immediately you disconnect plants 
from the root, from the source. They just dry up and die. And Jesus says, it's not enough to look to me and come to me, but you must abide in me. You must live in me. You must keep connected with the, with the sap of life in order to keep the life that you received. Someone put it like this, and uh, I think it's a good description, that Jesus came to take off you what the devil put on you, to take out of you what the devil put in, and to put back in what the devil took out, and to put back on what the devil took off. (laughs) He really wants to change you and to live, you to live in him and he in you. So it's a lifetime relationship. It isn't... uh, It isn't just putting your hand up at a meeting or asking Christ into your life. That's the first step. And that's a good step to do. And that's probably the most important step. But we are to abide in him and live in him when the trouble comes. Then fourthly, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Matthew eleven twenty nine. So his, his fourth invitation is to learn from him. So we not only need to look to him, to come to him and live in him, but we are to learn from him. And if you're open to learning from him, which should be a lifetime process, Jesus will teach you. I remember in uh, 1998 when I really felt God was calling me to live by faith. I remember walking on the outskirts of Stowmarket in a field and just saying, God, I don't know how to do the faith thing because the the nice diocese of St. Edmundsbury and Ipswich has given me a house and and paid me for the last nine years and you don't need faith for that. Once the man with a pointy hat says, dib dob dib and you're in (laughs) and lets you live in his house, I don't think that was quite the liturgy of the day, but once he's done that, it really doesn't require faith. But now God said, I want you to give that up. Well, it it wasn't that I gave it up. It was taken back. And so uh, we either have to go somewhere else and begin again or live by faith. And I remember praying that day, God, I don't know how to do the faith thing. Teach me about faith. And within a week, I, I began to come across people on TV and in books and on cassette tapes. Uh, We still had them in those days talking about faith and how faith works. And even now, uh, 30 years after asking Christ into my life, I still want to learn from God. Um, Many of you have read the little healing book uh, that I wrote. Well, I've just completed right now a a new book about healing because since I wrote the first one, I've learned a lot more things. And uh, it doesn't mean because I've written this new one that I've finished learning. We must always be open to learn from Christ. So learn from me. And then finally, um, he, says, uh, he says to them in Matthew 4.19, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So he, he says, look to me, come to me, abide in me, learn from me. But then now there's something he wants you to do to follow him in order that you will tell other people about Christ, that you will be fishers of men. And uh, that scares some of us. You know, you won't believe it, but I'm I'm really quite a shy person. And so for God to call me an evangelist, 
is, is quite difficult. So in, in the early days, and I kind of think about it these days, but in the early days, when I was a Christian and I felt that calling to share the good news and, and really didn't feel I could speak to people, I used to buy about 50 sort of little evangelistic gospel booklets and then I'd catch, uh, I'd catch a bus around Manchester and I'd just leave these things on the bus so that someone might find them, which eliminated the process of talking to strangers. <laughs> now, that's not the best way to do it, but that's all I had at that moment. Uh, but he calls us to share what we have. And there, there are many, many ways that we can do that. And that will mainly come through your personality and the things that interest you. Uh, but if you're not doing the other things of abiding in Christ and learning for Christ, people will never see that thing. And uh, it's just as we take part in the world, Wilson, uh, um, not Wilson Carlyle, uh, William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, you know, he was passionate about the gospel. And uh, when they began to minister to the poor and the hungry, he said, you know, if you, if you give a, a, a hungry man a tract, wrap it in a sandwich. And so he understood that you, you have to do some stuff as well as talk about God. So we need to follow Christ. The first book after the Gospels is not called The Excuses of the Apostles or The Policies and Procedures of the Apostles or The Theories of the Apostles. It's called The Acts of the Apostles. We have to do something. And we have to, through learning from Christ, discover what it is God has called us to do. We heard in the New Testament reading today about St. Paul, who was pretty much the most Jewish person you could ever meet. But strangely, God called him to mainly to the non-Jewish people. And that man wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament and just spent the rest of his life, despite persecutions and imprisonments, just confronting people with the good news of Jesus, confronting the church with how to live the Christian life and lived his life that way. Someone said you can be baptised, catechised, confirmed, vaccinated, eat fish on Friday, wipe your nose and say your prayers, but that won't make any difference because you have to have this relationship with Christ. And the way he put it to Nicodemus was you must be born again and receive him. You have to come to Christ. Nothing else will do. Just as I am British because I was born in Britain and hold a British passport. I'm a citizen of this kingdom. And to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. Someone asked D.L. Moody, the Victorian preacher, why do you only preach on the text? You must be born again. And he says, because you must be born again. (laughs) (laughs) So today, I don't know where you are on that kind of ladder of Christ speaking to you. But he says to you, look to me, come to me, abide in me, learn from me, and follow me. I want us to pray, and just wherever you are, I, I, Johnny said before, we want a hunger, and I just pray that you will say to Jesus with all sincerity that you want to go deeper and closer with him. And if you don't know him, just do what I did in church that morning, and just say, Jesus, if you're real, Come into my life and he'll take care of the rest of the stuff. Let's pray. Father, there are many voices calling out in the world. 
from TV, newspapers, books, advertising. But we pray today that we may hear you and give our attention to you and to follow you. Not just to trail about behind you, but to follow you, to follow your lifestyle, your teaching, to be with you, to have that, that intimate friendship and servanthood with you. Holy Spirit, come and transform us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The RSVP Trust, changing lives around the world.